bitch, please. Oh, bitch, please, my ass. You want a sandwich? Dig that. Oh, hell yeah. She's a bad I'm a black man in a white world. I'm a black man in a white world. If I wasn't a Christian man, I'd probably be kicking in your ass. I'm a black man in a white world. I'm a black Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the JB's Low Tech Podcast. When you're watching your favorite games and you see the officials get involved, do you ever wonder where they come from and how they get there? Well, you're about to find out next here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast. In Pennsylvania, a teenage girl that was about to turn 18 was driving her brand new car home when she looked down to check a text message and struck a tree, killing herself and injuring a friend in the car. The average message takes 4.6 seconds to create. Hi, I'm Mike Bryant from Bradshaw and Bryant. Please don't drive while intoxicated or allow your friends and family to do so. No text message or phone call is worth dying for. Find Mike Bryant at minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Mike Bryant, seeking justice for the injured. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the JB's Low Tech Podcast. Um, as I stated earlier, when you look at your favorite sporting event and you see the officials and you ask yourself, I wonder where they come from and how do they get to where they are? Um, I told you we'll find that out here next on this episode. And to help me do that is a longtime friend from high school. The friendship has kept on through the years is a, a gentleman by the name of Eric Oliver. How you doing, Eric? Uh, I'm doing fine, uh, JB. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Well, I'm going to – there's a double duty for having you on. One is to uh, uh, talk about yourself and how you got into uh, college football officiating, but also talk about something that's near, to, near and dear to both our hearts, and that's the struggle to keep our, our – Alma Mater High School alive and kicking. Okay. So we'll touch both of those as we uh, go through this podcast. But okay. to start off, before we get to the uh, the great official that you are and to talking about Charles Sumner High School, I always ask my guests to give an origin story. So can you give a, a short but sweet story about uh, your life uh, before uh, before becoming an official. Okay. Uh, thanks again for having me on, John, and I certainly appreciate the kind words. But uh, as far as me, you know, being an official, right. well, once we, once we graduated from uh, Sumner High School, I uh, had the opportunity to go right into the workforce. And as a result of going into the workforce, I, I was a non-traditional student. So my original goal was to go to Central Missouri State in Warrensburg, Missouri. And so I still had aspirations about playing football, but you know, those, you know, those aspirations uh, kind of went by the wayside because I had a full-time job with Southwestern Bell Telephone Company at the time. So I was playing, uh, you know, uh, how should I say this? I was playing sports in terms of baseball, flag football. I was playing uh, softball and, and so on and so forth. And more often than not, I was pretty good at knowing what we could do or what we couldn't do based on the rules. And I never will forget, there was a gentleman by the name of Scott Jones. Uh, Scott Jones, along with Gordon Ornoff, bless his, uh, may his soul rest in peace, they uh, saw that I was very interested in knowing the rules, and they asked me had I ever, you know, considered becoming a, uh, and a, football, uh, a football official or, you know, just an official, whether it be basketball, football, baseball, it didn't matter. And at that particular time, John, we were still in our 20s, and I was like, no. 
<laughs> you know, and I was uh, raising my family or what have you and uh, still following our alma mater very closely as far as the football team is concerned because, you know, they were still winning football games at that particular time, going to state championship, which was really remarkable in a sense that Sumner High School really wasn't one of the bigger high schools in the St. Louis public schools, yet we were still able to produce, you know, winning football teams. So I followed that very closely. Well, in my efforts to uh, continue to play sports on the side, you know, like I said, flag football, softball, baseball, and so on and so forth, I ended up uh, having a knee injury. I tore my ACL. And so I knew that all of those sports, you know, running up and down uh, a football field trying to, you know, pull someone's flag was over. And so, uh, again, I was approached by Scott Jones as well as Gordon Arnold about being a football official. So I'm now in my mid-30s. And it was at that particular time that I said, okay, I'll give it a shot. Because what happened, John, uh, was something that had been, been going on ever since I can remember. And what I mean by that is it appeared that whenever the black teams played white teams, and if the black team lost, the first thing we would say is not because they blocked better, they tackled better, they scored more points. Uh, it was because the officials cheated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that would always be the reason for their loss was that the officials cheated. So one of the reasons, uh, other than the urging of those men that I mentioned, one of the reasons I became an official was to find out how do the officials cheat? <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, and, I and guess. what I discovered was that they might be biased, mm-hmm. uh, but in terms of cheating, I, I just didn't find it overall. You know, I just didn't find anything that would make me think that this was a conspiracy against the black team. Well, that it's good to, to know that. And, and you're right. We hear that all the time. I'm uh, going to back you up for a second here. So, okay. um, and just uh, even make your, and when I said make your, uh, your origin story short, I didn't mean you to leave out the fact where you grew up. <laughs> what area you grew oh, up okay. in. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, uh, again, I've always been to St. Louis, and I grew up in the Greater Ville area. And so we originally, as you know, we had the Ville, and then they expanded it, and it became the Greater Ville area. Yeah. I grew up on uh, not far from one of the more famous uh, street corners, the Natural Bridge and Kings Highway. As a matter of fact, that particular uh, corner has been in videos and so on and so forth. And so I uh, attended Cope Brilliant Elementary School from Head Start through and including the sixth grade. And from there, I moved over, uh, went over to Turner Middle School for seventh and eighth grade. And from there, I went over to Sumner High School uh, from, you know, ninth through the twelfth grade. And our churches that were in the community, there were so many of the students that went to Sumner High School that I was even as a youngster could not wait to go to Sumner High School. Yep. I know because that feeling. Well, time, if you remember, <laughs> you were you were locked and limited to going to the school in the area in which you yes. live. Mm-hmm. Well, I kind of knew that because I had six siblings before me, so I knew where <laughs> I was going. I knew where I was going. I had uh, three brothers and three sisters in front of me who all attended and um, had either graduated or I had the one brother, Michael, who was a uh, senior our freshman year at Sumner. Right. So, right. Um, and then a younger sister the following year, and then a younger brother the year after we graduated, all attended the school. So, mm-hmm. but um, when you, when we were playing high school football and whatnot, there was no thoughts of becoming an official or anything like that, was there? No, not at that particular time. Because the, the primary focus, if, if you remember, was to keep doing what? Winning games and going to state. That was all we wanted to do, win games and go to state. Because if you remember, the, the graduating classes just before, starting in like uh, 73 class of, actually class of 74, won state championship. And right. then next year, 
74, uh, the class of 75 went back to state championship. In our freshman year, the class of 77 went back to state championship. And then our senior year, we were on, you know, on the right track to get back to a state championship. So, no, it was all about playing. It was all about keeping uh, the, the tradition of winning uh, football games and alive. And that was the primary focus. <laughs> and we didn't get there because of two missed extra points that everybody still thinks were good because the referees cheated. No, I'm just kidding. And, I just... and you know what? Here's what's remarkable about that. As it turned out, Dick Hantak, who was a longtime NFL referee, crew chief, mm-hmm. was actually one of the officials on that game. Yeah, it was Sumner versus uh, Webster Groves. Absolutely. So... Yeah, that was a game that, but, you know, it it did so much for a lot of people, Uh, myself, yourself, uh, other guys who got to go to college, you know, play football, not play football. But, um, you know, Coach Walls' dream was not that everybody went to college to play football, that we all went to college. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the things Coach Walls, would say, and I remember him saying it, even when he was talking to me, he said, don't let, he said, don't just play football. Uh, you know, don't let the game play you. Uh, you just play the game and don't let the game play you. Right. And so, uh, you know, there, there, it was something along those lines. I remember it was, you know, 30, 35 years ago, but, you know, I, I still remember it. Yeah. Well, he's, st- when I interviewed him for an episode on, on, on my podcast, he said those exact words. His plan yep. was to make sure that we didn't, that the game didn't just use us. That, in other words, don't just let him play for him, and then your four years are over with, and you got nothing to show for it, or you got nothing next on the plate. You know, play the game and use it as a tool to uh, get to the next thing you want to do in life. So, absolutely. Um, let me ask you this question. Speaking okay. of Coach Walls. And Coach Perry, what did those uh, two individuals mean for you or to you? I, I, I'm glad you asked that question because anything as it pertains to even uh, the game of football, even from an officiating perspective, even when I didn't feel like I was at my best or things didn't quite work out the way I wanted it to, I would always reach out to Coach Perry because I was actually closer to Coach Perry than I was to coach Walls because I played on the defensive side of the ball. Correct. And I'll never will forget when I was talking to Coach Perry, I, I would ask him uh, advice about this, advice about that. And, you know, Coach Perry was always uh, willing to listen. He was always willing to offer a word of encouragement as well as advice. Now, he never told me what to do. He right. would just always tell me what the options were yep. or some things that I may or may not have considered. Coach Walls pulled me to the side and he would say to me uh, that if I needed somebody to talk to, you know, he said uh, we could uh, get together and, you know, and have a, a powwow if I wanted to. And I never will forget it was in 20, after the 2017 football season, I really thought I was going to the, the national uh, championship. That year, Alabama, the first time Alabama played Georgia, mm-hmm. and I was, I was sent to another bowl game. And I called Coach Perry. And I told him, I said, I was, I was a little down, a little disappointed. He said, why? I said, because I didn't get the, you know, the bowl game that I was hoping for. And he asked me about three questions. And when he finished with those three questions, he said to me, now, don't call me again with that. And I said, oh. <laughs> I said, oh, okay. And from that point forward, I have been, you know, grateful. I've been humbled uh, by any chance, any opportunity right. that I would get. And so Coach Walls and Coach Perry meant a great deal because I knew they would understand what I was going through. I totally understand that. Our, our, uh, going into our senior year, um, there was a, and I won't name, I won't name him, but there was an individual who had done the same thing before me at Sumner High mm-hmm. School. Mm-hmm. And he had promised me that he would come back and show me how to do this and how to do that. And he never did. And I went to, and I was upset about it. And Coach Walls and P- Perry pulled me to the side and asked me, 
what's going on? Why, you know, why are you upset about that? I said, well, he promised, and, this, and they looked at me and said, hey, it'd be nice if he came back and, do, and, and would do that, but it's not his job. He says, it's our job to get you ready mm-hmm. and get you places to get you ready for that, and it's your job to be ready. And don't sit there and mope and whine about it. Get, uh, get, basically get to stepping and get ready yep. to. And so, for two summers, they sent me to Mizzou. Mizzou had a week long uh, trainers camp, and um, that's where I learned how to take care of, you know, uh, treat injuries, um, take care of equipment, and all of that stuff, and. Um, they drove. They were the ones who drove me there both times. Okay. Yeah. Okay. They drove me there and um, made sure I was taken care of and whatnot. So, I've that's why I've always had a, a you know a great felt the great debt to them, but also with the understanding, don't wait for a handout. Get you know get yours by getting there. So. They made that message very clear. So, yeah, and I, and I will just jump in. Uh, you know, like I said, uh, Coach Perry asked me three questions, and one of the things that he did mention, and I do remember this, he said to me, he said, "I told you all back in the day that everybody wasn't going to get a scholarship to a D one A right uh, university." Mm-hmm. He said, "But in the full ride to you know a D one double A, he said you still get your education." Yep. And I was like, oh, so I didn't get the, you know, national championship game. But guess what? I did get a bowl game. Right. You know, after Christmas, all expense paid. <laughs> right. <laughs> and we'll we do, we'll discuss those in a few minutes. Okay. Um, just to kind of wrap up our high school days. Um, you know, we're we're lucky to attend the oldest all black high school west of the Mississippi um, a school that was originally for the children of doctors and black doctors and lawyers and professionals. Um, what does that school mean to you? And uh, why is it so high on, on your list to keep it open? Uh, well, well, several things. Number one, I believe that I got the best education that I could have gotten at that particular time, because if you remember, uh, due to, you know, discrimination and so on and so forth, some of the best minds of minorities could not get jobs at some of the major corporations. The best job that they could get was to do what? Teach. Teach. Yeah. And so they came back to the high schools and the middle schools because they also grew up at, you know, in that area. And they knew the importance of in, instilling us not only values, but imparting knowledge in us, knowing that in order to move this thing forward, you see, what they, what they uh, keep dies, but what they give grows. Yep. So they told me something, and I in turn tell somebody who tells somebody, and so it expands. And so what made that education so great is because they wanted to see us, what, succeed. Mm-hmm. It was not just about uh, whether I got an A or B or H. They wanted to make certain that every student that was in our classrooms or even in our classes, that we all, what, excelled. Because they had a vested interest in what, was, what lies ahead. But now what, what we saw happen was, I mean, as, the, as they say, the civil rights movement has some unintended consequences. Right. And when I say unintended consequences, yeah, they opened up the doors, the opportunities for some of the best minds, but then some of the best minds left teaching and went to those corporations. Yeah, uh, me and my brother Michael have had several conversations about the unintended consequences of the civil rights movement. Right. And one of them and people will be kind of mind-blown while I'll say this, was the, destru- the destruction of the black family, as nuclear family as we know it. Because yep. there were, um, and I'll just say it this way, 
door prizes given to have the, the black male remo- removed from the household mm-hmm. as far as welfare and, and other things or loading prisons up with our, you know, with our labor for mild, you know, misdemeanor or drug, you know, nonviolent drug charges right. to, to build a, a labor force in prisons. And those, you know, um, so people should dig a little deeper and look at the consequences of uh, the civil rights movement. Now, I'm not saying that we don't need it. We didn't need that. We sure oh, yeah. needed that. Yes, sir. Absolutely. And we uh, we just kind of had a renaissance of it that is, that's being fought right now in the voter rights and other things. Absolutely. Um, and also uh, the student loan debt. And people go, well, you shouldn't take them out, this, that, and the other. Well, for a lot of uh, minority, and I'm not just going to say black, I'm going to say minority students. Right. That's the only way for them to go to be able to afford to go to college, right? Because their their parents can't, and that was the, the only way that you, you know. Yes, they got grant and aid, in some cases Pell grant and whatnot, but that was nowhere near enough to cover everything that they need. You know, tuition, room and board, and whatnot. So, oh, you're absolutely right. And the other thing is to keep in mind, John, is that. Anytime you have a 400-year head start, it's going to be extremely difficult for someone to catch you. Now, that doesn't mean it can't happen, but it's going to be extremely difficult. Because when I talked about unintended consequences, not only uh, from a, a teaching perspective, but even from a community perspective. If you remember, there were neighborhoods in which we could not what? We could not live in. Right. Or even drive so through. And no longer <laughs> discriminate against us housing. Guess what we did? We left the neighborhood, which brings us back to Sumner High School. If you remember, like you said, Sumner was built specifically for the children of the doctors and the, the, the business owners and so on and so forth, for the neighborhood, the Veal neighborhood, which was thriving. Mm-hmm. And they just, school. Sumner has always has been uh, uh, referenced as the jewel of the Veal of that neighborhood. But now what happens is if there is no neighborhood, right. Then it was very difficult for some to maintain the attendance that it once had. Now understand this. It's not really a Sumner issue. It's a St. Louis city issue yes. because people are not breaking their necks to move into what St. Louis city. They're no. just not doing it. Even in the Midwest, when you look at people moving hither and thither, they're not, there's not a mass influx of folks moving into the Midwest. And so if St. Louis City is on the decline, Sumner High School can't help but be, you know, experience that same uh, result, or should I say, uh, you know, the decline uh, of Sumner High School. Now, the one thing that we can do now that we could not do when we were in high school is that students can come from other areas to attend Sumner. Mm-hmm. Remember I said earlier, we lived in the neighborhood, so we were forced to go to Sumner, even though we were excited and looking forward to it. But now Sumner has to be a school of choice. But now the question becomes, if the neighborhood is declining or decayed, why would I then send my child to Sumner High School? Yeah. It's a very tough question. Got to have a very special cu- curriculum. Absolutely. <laughs> for your child. Plus, then once they get there, then the extras come in, the history, the, the uh, pride, the knowledge. I mean, it's very strange. You know, I tell people, you know, Sumner won, what, four, five state football titles at the highest level? Yeah. And yeah. our women's track team would win state titles. We had half a, we had a straightaway and a half a curve for our track teams to tra- train on. You're absolutely right. And our, we didn't have a home football field. You're right. They have a home football field now and, and barely have enough to have a team. But when we were a mighty proud program, we'd have to play at other people's fields. 
and we practiced outside our outside our front door at the high school on what we used to call scratch old turf, which was weeds, broken glass, and everything else, rocks that would cut you up. <laughs> but <laughs> I have marks on my body that remind me that at one time I was injured. Right. But the good news is I no longer hurt. But the scars remain to let us know that at one time, this is what we went through. So it's hard for me to forget it because there's a constant reminder. And it's a true testament to what Coach Walls and Coach Perry, uh, even Coach Clark before Coach Perry became the uh, defensive coordinator, what they were able to do with the young men that had these you know, high aspirations as far as football is concerned. And, and don't forget, as far as, because let's face it, we got things that other public high schools didn't get, and that was because of Coach Walls and Perry's uh, go-get-it attitude, but also yes, Mr. Simmons was mm-hmm. able to finagle and get things for us. So, yeah, so don't forget Mr. S- Mr. Richard Simmons. Oh, no, I don't want to forget him. As a matter of fact, I saw him not long ago, and uh, it was good to see him. Yeah, I heard he was. He had just celebrated like a 90th birthday or something. It was like, holy moly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, all right. Well, before we move on to the next stage and talking about officiating here, Eric, I'm going to take a short commercial break. The reason why this is called the JB's Low Tech Podcast, you will not be able to hear the commercial or the return bumper music because for me to do that, I would need a second uh, device to do that with. And I'm not about to buy a second cell phone in this part of my journey. (laughs) So as we do, as as we take this break, I just normally ask people to uh, mute themselves so... They can move freely and do whatever they want, and then when they hear me say "Welcome back," you, uh, we can pick things up again. Okay, sounds good. All right. So we'll come back here with uh, Eric Oliver, uh, Big Ten official, uh, football referee, and then we'll pick up the discussion about that here next on the JB's Low Tech Podcast. In Pennsylvania, a teenage girl that was about to turn 18 was driving her brand new car home when she looked down to check a text message and struck a tree, killing herself and injuring a friend in the car. The average message takes 4.6 seconds to create. Hi, I'm Mike Bryant from Bradshaw and Bryant. Please don't drive while intoxicated or allow your friends and family to do so. No text message or phone call is worth dying for. Find Mike Bryant at minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Mike Bryant, seeking justice for the injured. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the JB's Low Tech Podcast. Today, my uh, special guest is uh, Center Judge, and we're gonna, I'm going to ask you what the heck that is, Eric Oliver, uh, Big Ten football official, and uh, Eric. Yes. On the on the return to the uh, podcast. And I know one Brian Smith is uh, smiling. I played Knee Deep by Parliament Funkadelic. What? Oh, did you really? <laughs> <laughs> okay. What comes to mind when you hear that song? Uh, when, I, when I hear that song, I, I, I remember Brian Smith singing that uh, when we were all on the football team, and it was one of the rallying uh, song. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so, so, yes, absolutely. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, we didn't have a uh, school fight song as you have in college football and whatnot that everybody sings when you score a touchdown and whatnot. We had knee, 
Not Just Knee Deep by Paula McFunkadelic that we played in the locker room, then carried to the field and played at on on the walk to the field to get pumped up before every game. Yes, sir. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so you are a Big Ten official. Mm-hmm. I have one question. What okay. what does a center judge do? Okay. Uh, to try to uh, be brief in my description, <laughs> Go what, what, what happened is, if you remember, the St. Louis Rams would uh, run a style of offense that would change football forevermore. Yep. As a matter of fact, uh, the way football is being played on the offensive side of the ball is uh, – is the result of what they did in the early, the late nineties, the early two thousands with Kurt Warner, Marsha Falk, Isaac King, Tory Holt, Isaac Bruce, uh, Ricky Prohl, and that, that, that bunch. Well, what happened was teams started running those offenses and they not only what they were doing is that it was all about matchups as talented as, uh, uh, the middle linebacker for the Ravens, uh, was, no matter, I'm, I'm looking at it, uh, Ray, Ray Lewis. Yeah. Ray Lewis could not handle Marshall Falk coming out of the backfield in, in the passing game, okay? And so football used to be run to set up the pass, mm-hmm. but it moved from that to pass to set up the run was, is what the Rams did. And what teams started doing is they was running a hurry-up offense, no huddle offense, and it was a style that the St. Louis Rams used to run. Well, what happened was they would catch the defense – with some of that big guys in when they put in the speedsters. So what football, so what they did was they thought that the offense had an unfair advantage. So what they needed was an official to hold up the offense <laughs> and give the defense an opportunity to match up. They only have X amount of seconds to match up. If you, if they substituted players bringing in some speedsters, you were on defense allowed to move, uh, get some of the fat guys out of there to bring in some fast guys, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. But the way we only had seven officials on the field. So the question became, how do we hold up the offense? And that's thus the creation of the center judge position, whose primary responsibility was to give the defense an opportunity to match up. And what they found was the other benefit of having the center judge is the referee or the crew chief uh, was responsible for the entire backfield. By putting this additional official back there, now you can divide the field in half. He has the quarterback going to the right. The center judge has the quarterback all the way to the left or to the sideline from the left, you know, the left side of the quarterback. And so that's what the center judge and um, primary responsibility is to give the defense an opportunity to match up to spot the football every time, you know, there's a pass play or a run play, and then also help with the protection of the quarterback. And I'll, and I'll end it on this, saying that very few teams win championships without their starting quarterback. Correct. So <laughs> it's important that we help do what? Protect the quarterback. Yeah. They have uh, uh, they've become very overpriced pieces of China. That's true. <laughs> That's true. You can't touch them because they'll break. Um, so what training is in, is involved to become an official at your level? Well, to be quite honest with you, John, it's just like the game itself. It's no longer a three-month vocation or advocation in this case. Just like, you know, the football players used to show up in July to get in shape for football season. No, they show up in July already what? In shape. Mm-hmm. And my Supervisor of officials, which is uh, Bill Carollo, a former uh, NFL referee, crew chief, who's now responsible for not only the Big Ten, but also the Mid-America Conference, the Missouri Valley Football Conference, as well as the Pioneer League. And he's developing officials. And so what, what it requires is that we all have positions, trainers for each position. We meet with them on a regular basis. Rules, tests are given out. By, on weekly, all during the season, even during the off season, and then once we decide how the crews are going to be put together, then you will get with your crew chief. And I mean, when I tell you that it's study, 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 and when we get tired of studying, guess what we do? Study. We study some more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And then if you remember on this level, there's spring football. So right. not only right now after the national championship, I may have two weeks to breathe. Right. And then guess what we start doing again? Getting in the rule book, start to study. And so in order to get to uh, officiating on this level, and even to the highest level, which is the National Football League, it does require commitment and dedication and an understanding family you, that's going to give you a chance to do those things. Right. You just mentioned rule book. How much – I know they have coaches committees and athletic directors have say on rule changes. Uh, how much input do you officials get on rule changes? We actually uh, have some input because what will happen is Bill Carollo, and like I said, one of the most influential uh, uh, former officials in the in the entire nation. I, I think that in my personal opinion, I'm not saying it just because he's my boss. He's probably the most powerful man in officiating, whether it be the NFL, whether it be college football, or high school, because of, you know, he was able to work X amount of Super Bowls. And he also has influence in terms of those that are running the National Football League. And so a lot of the training we get, we get from who? National Football League officials. Mm -hmm. You know, so realistically, Eric Oliver would be ready for the National Football League much sooner now than we did, say, 20, 30 years ago. So uh, a lot of the uh, other conferences, uh, what we call the college official uh, consortiums, uh, you know, the the Pac-12, you know, COC West, as we would call it, the COC, Mm -hmm. And even down in Southeast, a lot of the training they adopt, they've adopted from what Bill Carollo brought in. And so what happens is, what, what happens is, like I said, on this level, on this level, the expectations are that you would, what, show the commitment, show the dedication. And one of the things that I have to give Bill Carollo his uh, props uh, is the fact that we're now moving where we're now bringing in more minorities into the Big Ten, into the Mid-America Conference. And one of the things that, uh, you know, that used to be said around the country is we don't have enough minorities in the pipeline to develop them, to get them to this level. Remember, the supervisors of officials, their responsibility is not to put X amount of minorities on the field. Their responsibility is not to put this person or that person. They are tasked with doing what? putting the best officials they can find on the field. Well, we put together a recruiting team, and we are in the process now in the COC of recruiting young officials that aspire to get to where I am. That's that's the way it should be. Um, so you did this without working like – did you ever work high school football? Yes, as a matter of fact, I started off doing the junior football league, Herbert Hoover, Matthews Dickey, uh, mm-hmm. UC, that, uh, Kirkwood, and then I started doing high school games. And then once I started doing JV games, I uh, started doing, I was going to put on a uh, high school crew. And I remember uh, going down to Orlando, and there was a, a young uh, man named Art Lucky who was in the Big 12 at the time, asked me, had I ever aspired to do college football? And I said, no, not really. And so he gave me names of people that were running certain associations that we have in St. Louis. Now, St. Louis is not really a big hotbed for college football, as Chicago is or Baltimore is, because of the number of universities that are surround those areas. See, we have Mizzou, but Mizzou is probably the biggest university we have. Everyone else is, you know, uh, Missouri State, Southeast Missouri State, you know, some of the smaller universities but if you go to chicago illinois alone has what northwestern they have uh university of illinois they have illinois state they have northern illinois and so on and so forth yeah. so they they're, they're much bigger than we are but so when you go to these associations they're generally guys that are in the nfl or in you know the high level football officiating trying to help those that are in division three get to that level and so yes i started off doing high school games and john I never will forget I had a chance to work Hazelwood East against uh, Webster for the right to go to state championship. Man, I thought that was the biggest thing going until I had a chance to work Michigan-Ohio State. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just like when I first came here, I'm going to be honest with you, when I first came here, 
And I was like, oh, I'm going to be in college football. And our first home, our first game was against USC. And it's like, wait a minute, where am I? <laughs> <laughs> and then I started looking at the schedule, and at the bottom of the schedule, you know, at you know, the first Big Ten game was Ohio State, which was like the second game of the season. Midweek, it was, I mean, mid-year, it was Michigan. And then it was like, I, I saw Iowa and Wisconsin at the bottom of the, I was like, wait a minute. I'm in big-time football. I had no yes, clue sir. where Minnesota, what conference Minnesota played in when I agreed to come here. And yep, not, matter of fact, did we play USC? But Marcus Allen was on the USC football team at the oh, time. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm in big-time college football. I had no clue where I, I was. It was just one of those things where it's like, okay, I couldn't, things didn't work out to go to Mizzou, so I'll go to, you know, you know, these people are calling me, I'll go there. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay. So, um, so the season starts, and every week you get an assignment. How early do you get that assignment, and how early do you uh, – leave to get to that assignment now i know and i'm just going to let the listeners know on, on my side for us to get a team ready there is an advance party that leaves on either wednesday or thursday depending on how far we have to go and then uh and i did that for a couple of years i was the advance man for the equipment room and you literally have to set up the locker room by yourself mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Uh, there'd be one trainer and then two truck drivers. The two truck drivers helped, but I would literally have to set the template up and everything else and put everything in place and name plates and all those things and all the equipment in the locker. So when they, if they showed up for a Friday walkthrough, it was there. If not, then it was there for Saturday. But how early do do you get your assignment and for that week and how early do you get in town? Actually, we get our dates in the latter part of the spring. Okay. And it'll let how many assignments I'll have for uh, the fall. Now, I won't know where I'm going until probably about three weeks before our first game because they give us a chance to book our flights. So we mm-hmm. may get our first three games. And as each game drops off, another game drop comes on. So we'll know all the way through the season. So I'll get the first three games, if not the first four games, and then once I work the first game, then the fifth game will show up. I'll work the second game, and then the sixth game will show up, and then I'll know where I'm going. Right. And many times those assignments are predicated upon who's playing and, uh, you know, what crew uh, Bill Carollo and his team decides to send to specific games because you don't want the same referee officiating the same schools over mm-hmm. and over right. again. You, you don't want that. And the other thing is we're required to be in the city – that we're going to officiate uh, at least ideally 24 hours, but certainly the day before. So when you, you, you come in town, you probably have more meetings and more study and what, because I believe you watch film or something of, of each team and whatnot, but, um, and you can fill in the gaps on that. But, okay. uh, but on your travel, uh, you said you have to book your flights. I'm assuming that you get a, uh, get, um, reimbursed for that, plus get paid, plus there's expenses that are covered? Yeah, they they, they give us enough, uh, you know, in our uh, game check that will cover, you know, flights and hotels and so on and so forth. But in terms of uh, film study, it's incumbent upon you as an official to start on Monday. By yep. the time we get together on Friday and have our crew meeting, we'll, we'll meet and go over highlights and some of the things that uh, Bill Carollo may have, uh, you know, memos that he would have sent out to make certain that everyone got it. We'll go over again a rules test. The other thing is we'll do a scouting report. And so most of us, when I hear about the quarterback at a certain school, I already know because you can't imagine going to a Big Ten uh, coach and ask him, is the quarterback left-handed or right-handed? Now, see, we did that in high school because mm-hmm. we didn't know. Right. <laughs> But when you get to that level, you might want to know not only uh, is he left-handed or right-handed, but are they a run-oriented team, a passing team? Who does he like to throw to? And so you know all those things uh, leading up to Friday. So you, you basically you you 
scouting for tendencies and whatnot, and also yeah. where to position your yourself doing, you know, when this team's on offense and that team's on defense and whatnot. So, um, so you have your game assignment, you work your assignment. You go home. I take it you probably go home immediately after the game, or at least the next day. Yeah, yeah. We usually come home, and then if you see, keep, keep in mind uh, when we throw our flags, we then have to write up a report on what we saw. Okay. The graders then will go back and see if what we said happened did happen. So we're graded. You know, you can get a correct call, you can get an incorrect call, you can get a marginal call. Which means, yeah, okay, I see it. But you know, if you had not, you know, if you didn't throw the flag, we would, we'd be okay with that. Then you can get an outstanding call, and then there's also something called a no call, yeah. which means you, you you didn't see the face mask. And the answer is <laughs> oh. <laughs> so so you you don't want that. So our games are graded, and then uh, you know, uh, realistically, we say we don't we're not competing, but absolutely, I'm competing with others in the Big Ten conference that are working the same position that I work because, you know, bowl assignments are going to come out and to the highest rank official, you're going to, you know, your games are predicated upon that information. Now, and I don't think this happened, but say that, um, and you know, uh, there's a friend of ours who was a head coach in the big 10, uh, Robert Williams, Mm -hmm. say he was coaching. Would they take you off that crew? If that was the case, or it, it, it depends. We do have what is called conflict of interest. We have to let them know what schools we attended. If they have football teams, our kids are they currently attending those certain schools? Do you have personal relationships with anyone? Now, Robert Williams and I, I did report that he and I went to the same high school, but he was a senior and I was a freshman. Right. We didn't know each other then, so they would not have viewed that as a quote-unquote con- conflict of interest. Now you. <laughs> If you were the head coach, that would be a conflict of interest. Or if I played at the University of Minnesota, right. then no, I could never officiate their game. I was just going to say, I'm not a conflict as an equipment person. I wouldn't be a conflict. No, no, okay. not as an equipment person. Nah. Just wondering. Um, so as you know, the season goes on, um, do you guys, and I, you're saying you get, you get rated, as the season goes on, does that have any say on your, your next, uh, your next uh, placement, uh, your next week or whatever? You know, as far as this might be a game where one is playing two nationally, or as for the Big Ten uh, East title or whatnot, does um, your ratings, or maybe your your crew chief's rating, ha- come into play? Right, come into play for those type games. It, it can because we're rated three ways. We have thirty uh, percent is test scores. The other thirty percent, or thirty three percent, I should say, thirty three and thirty three, is um, on the field performance. How are you doing? Uh, you know, for instance, when um, uh, Michigan and Ohio State just played, I think they were ranked high or something like that. Somebody right. would go to the Big Ten championship, and then the other one would be the uh, supervisor's discretion. So if you were not performing up to par, the, the chances are very great that you will just get moved to another game. Because remember now, I told you we get dates. They don't guarantee us where we're going. They just guarantee us, you know, said you get these dates, you sign the contract. Right. But it's not, it, he's not locked into sending me to do Minnesota against Illinois, no. Okay. No, I was, that was something I wondered. Let me ask you this. Have you had any thoughts? Has anybody talked to you about being a head ref? Yes. Yes. We, uh, as a matter of fact, I had an opportunity uh, to meet with Bill Lemonye, who was a longtime Big Ten official, uh, Jerry Markbright, longtime NFL uh, official. I had a chance to interview with them, and then uh, the center judge position became uh, available. So they asked me, now, if you want to be a referee, You'll start, you have to start off, you know, obviously you're not going to start off in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. But my goal was to be in the Big Ten, not necessarily as a crew chief. And so I went to the center judge position, and we have some of the best referees in the nation. Yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't put them – they don't take a back seat to anyone, in my opinion. 
I've actually heard that from uh, national broadcasters. They say that if you want a well-refereed game, Big Ten is is the standard bearer, and from there it, it goes Pac-12, and then it you know kind of goes down. Believe it or not, yeah. <laughs> the yeah. SEC is kind of ranked low, ranked low, and the Big Twelve is like the lowest. But that's some people's opinions, and I right. I don't have one. But that's but the big it's kind of known that Big Ten officials is is the top of the top. We talk well, about you this. Go I ahead. You that during the off season we also have clinics and camps, mm-hmm. and one of the things that I've been fortunate enough to be uh, is one of the uh, clinicians. So I'm listening. Uh, there are Division three guys or girl, you know, ladies or what have you that are aspiring to, you know, to get to the next level, and I am a representative of the Big Ten. So I get a chance to go to camps and clinics, and it's it's a wonderful thing. And then when I talk with guys that do the same position I do, or even some other positions. I still walk away saying we don't have to take a back seat to any other conference. Well, it's it's a good thing, and and now the the leadership of Kevin Warren. Um, yes, absolutely. It's it, it's going to become even more uh, a priority to have African Americans in leadership positions to, in the, in the conference. Um, we were discussing bowl games and bowl opportunities. Um, You did the Fiesta Bowl this year? Yeah, uh, fortunately, uh, I was uh, selected to work the uh, Fiesta Bowl between uh, Oklahoma State Cowboys and the Fighting Irish from Notre Dame. Yeah, that's that was one of the new what they call the new New Year's Day six games. That's correct. And that's meaning it's one of the top six bowl games. So that's quite a bond of their pally. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Thanks. Um, so when do you guys arrive, like, to take a team there? We would get there, like, week before the game and, and practice down there. But then there would be activities for the players and some for the the, the uh, coaching staff and staff and coaches, <coughs> excuse me, family members. Mm-hmm. How soon do you guys get there and do they have things for you guys? Yeah, generally uh, two days uh, prior to the game. The reason I say that is because uh, generally the day before the game, we have meetings with the bowl committee, and, and you don't want to be trying to fly in. You want to already be there, right. if that makes sense. So I got in on the 30th of uh, – I'm sorry, the 29th of uh, – no, it was the 30th. Now that I think about it, 30th of December, and our game wasn't until that Saturday, uh, November 1st. And, but no, we don't have to be there a week ahead of time. Right. And do they have any type of festivities for you guys, or parties or social events or anything like that? Or do they just uh, keep you guys no. locked up? <laughs> yeah, I think that it, it largely depends on the bowl. Now, the Big Ten Championship, for instance, they uh, there were several things they could you, you could do with your family and friends because it was the Big Ten Championship. And so, yeah, they would, you know, give us dinner and there would be a social, but you know, there was no dance or anything like that because technically we have a, what a job to do, Right. you know, <laughs> it's not exactly a picnic, you know? And so the expectations will be that you'll be prepared. Mm-hmm. How many, how many big 10 championships have you done? Uh, in an eight year period, I went twice. I went okay. as the, the, my very first year in the big 10, I achieved something that had never been done. And that was a first year official to make it to the big 10 championship game. Congratulations. No, thank you. <laughs> And then I would I would go back as an alternate uh, about four years after that, something like that. Twenty nineteen, mm-hmm. I guess nineteen. I went back as an alternate. Mm-hmm. And um, so, how is that? Is that like a regular week, or is it more like a bowl week for you guys? It, oh, it, it it feels like a bowl week because uh, again, at you know the Saturday after Thanksgiving, the season ends. And the championship games are the following week. So you really, so you'll get a phone call from Bill Carollo and uh, saying, "Hey, congratulations! I'm sending you to the uh, Big Ten championship game. Are you willing to accept the assignment?" And the answer usually is, "Yeah, pretty yes." Before he finishes, you know, and then the preparation starts that Monday or yeah, that Monday, and then you'll get to Indy uh, that Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, 
do you guys ever have to um, meet with the media, or would you ever want to meet with the media? I would have no problem doing it, but uh, based on our policy, it's generally the crew chief that meets with the uh, media, or if uh, you know, obviously, if Bill Carollo or one of his assistants, uh, Bob Wagner, or one of those guys are in town, they would meet with the media. But most of more, more often than not, uh, there's nothing that we want to share with the media. Not. Not from my perspective, anyway. So finish uh, finish up discussing this topic, Eric, and I appreciate you giving me your time and um, informing people on people behind the stripes. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else you want to touch on being a big-time official? Do you find it beneficial? Would you... Uh, uh, tell others to do it? What are your thoughts? I'm glad you asked that question. One of the things that I would like, like I said, my original uh, desire to become an official was to find out if, in fact, they cheat. And people say, oh, that's a bad official. That's a bad official. If they're a bad official, then they're probably bad for both teams. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm bad, I'm going to be bad against both teams. You might say that I'm a biased official against the team, but if I'm bad, I'm going to be bad against both teams. It is probably one of the things that I have found to be most rewarding because the people and the opportunities that I have been afforded would have never come had I not been a football official. I mean, I've got friends now that live in Baltimore, New York, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, you know, Michigan, mm-hmm. uh, Detroit, that I would have ever met if it had, not, had it not been for football officiating. And the other thing is this, John. One of the things when we talk about closing the economic gap, Right. Well, one of the things that we're going to have to do, and this is why I'm on the uh, recruiting team, is because it's all about exposure. Uh, one of the things Kevin Warren is pushing, game day uh, operations. Those are types of things that are going. There is a person that gets paid to let us know when commercial is in and when commercial yep. is out. Mm-hmm. I mean, but we don't know that. All we grew up knowing, John, was what? Playing the game or coaching the game. That was it. We either played or we coached. And we but barely from- knew about coaching. Yeah, I I went and and, and I've spoken to kids uh, about opportunities in sports beyond playing, and, and and I would, you know, I would take items with me like equipment or tape or you know athletic tape or this that and the other, and I would break down all the different things and or I would lead groups through the the athletic department. It's like well. How many of you guys are into technology? And hands would go up. This is our our, our uh, technology group. Yep. How it's many? all about right. it really is all about exposure. Yep. And so what my goal is, what my desire is to give those that aspire to do this uh, exposure. Mm-hmm. Here is the one thing I can promise you is that if you got this certain rush when you played ball, when the game, it was game day, I promise you, you get the same rush yep. when you were the third team on the field. <laughs> You're ready to come out and do what you, you know, been purposed to do and make sure this game is played equitable, fair, you know. And I, I, I kid you not, you really get that rush because of the fact that it's a team. We are a team of what? Of officials. Right. And all of us hold each other uh, accountable because if you if you don't do your job, you know, you let all the others down. Same thing as being wide out or running back. If you don't, or the blocker. If you don't do your job, it won't go. And so we, we get that. And so the other thing is not only exposure, but when I was talking about the economic gap, I'm going to say this pretty quickly, is that in order for you to live a, a, a certain, a, a, get a piece of the American pie, in this day and age, you must have multiple streams of income. Right. Why not let one of those multiple streams of income be something that you what? Enjoy. Right. You like sports. Yeah. Be a football official. Be a basketball official. And then, you know, you're not doing it for the money. And you will find out that once you get involved and once you start to commit to it, you don't even realize you're working. But, you be, you know, you're delighted to get the check that comes with it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I would, I, I would tell like you. I would tell young people that all the time about being an, an equipment manager. I said, yeah, it's work. And there's some things that are, you know, dirty work. But I said, then there's times where you travel 
and you know you get clothing and you um of course you get paid but you get to see things you never thought you'd see or get to um do things you never thought you, you know do and whatnot i was we were at a bowl game down in el paso the sun bowl and they took mm-hmm. both staffs and cro- and took us across the border for an authentic mexican uh dinner and uh show in mexico you know that's something i would never thought i would have done would have never thought and i would i would add this john and i and i'm done is that instant replay instant replay hasn't been around that long but guess what it's not going anywhere nope if you don't want to run up and down the football field be an instant replay or a communicator those jobs are available. You will know the rules, and I promise you, I don't look at football the way I used to look at it. <laughs> you, you just don't. Right. No, I, the reason why I laugh is because I tell people, you don't want to watch a game with me. Like, me and my son can sit down and watch a game because he's been around me all his life, and <laughs> he was a ball boy for the Gopher football team for nine years, so he kind of knows what I'm actually looking at. What I, the things I look for and look at at a football game would go over most people's heads. Yep. Yep. And I know it's got to be the same way for you. It's like, you know, you don't watch a football game the same way as most people do. Now, the one thing I never do, I'm never critical of other officials because I know how tough it is. Yep. If it was easy, everyone would do it. So it does require, you know, certain skill set. But I can go to the game and see a flag. And I can say to the crowd around me, just if I wanted to, what the foul is going to be, just based on who threw it. Right. <laughs> because I look at the game differently. Yep. You know, I look at the game like everyone else looks at it. Okay. As we wrap this up, is there a way people can contact you or do you want them to contact you or, or maybe the Big Ten office or whatnot? Yeah. To, to do uh, which level? Are you talking high school or just becoming an official? Yeah, any of all of that. Yeah, there, there, there are two ways of reaching me. I'm not on uh, social media. Yep. There, I mean, I know that that is a, uh, for some, that's a positive. For me, I just stay away from it altogether, okay? It's just, it's just kind of like going to the casinos. I stay away from it, what, altogether. Right. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't understand. even want the appearance of, you know, yep. of any, any wrongdoing. But my email address is E Q U E dot oliver o-l-i-b like victor e-r mm-hmm. at yahoo.com e-q-u-e dot oliver o-l-i-b like victor e-r at yahoo.com and if you send me an email and just say hey i'm an aspiring official i live in the st louis metro area it doesn't matter to me whether you're in you know the southern part of illinois uh and, and like i said and then even in st louis Certainly, I will connect you with the various associations and then establish some type of friendship uh, that we can what meet on a regular basis and also help you get to where you want to go. Because more often than not, your success really is built on your own aspirations. Again, I want to thank you for your time. Congratulate you in all you're doing. And thank you for the uh, work you continue to do on uh Saving Sumner High School. How old is Sumner now? One hundred and Sumner, eighteen seventy-five. So we're at one forty-five, one forty-six, one forty-seven. Yep. Yeah, it would be one forty-seven this year, if I'm not mistaken. So when we I'd say have to that again, <laughs> right, <laughs> people, when we say oldest high school, black high school, Western Mississippi, we're not lying. <laughs> no. We- we're not making it up, but yeah, 1875. Which make it also one of the oldest high schools west of the Mississippi. That's but, correct. Um, man, it's been a blast. Eric and I had dinner a couple of months ago when he was in town to do a gopher game. I always look forward to that text message. Um, when it pops up, hey, I'm doing game this weekend, that means I get to take him to my favorite restaurant, which has become one of his favorite restaurants in town. Absolutely. I look forward to it. <laughs> so, J.D. Hoyts. Um, I always mention J.D. Hoyts on this podcast. So, I got to get, get one of these days when things financially straighten out, I got to get Pat to become a sponsor of the show. But uh, 
until then, they will get the free plug. But um, it's been a blast to talk to you. Keep doing what you're doing. I'm proud of you. Uh, happy, very proud to call you a friend. And uh, just keep doing what you're doing. Already, I appreciate you. And thanks again for having me on. And hopefully uh, from this podcast, someone will be, you know, an aspiring official will reach out and we'll be able to help them. Okay? All right. Well, this has been Thanks, Eric. Buddy. All right, man. This has been Eric Oliver, Big Ten center judge, football official, here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast. JB. is my name and f***ing up motherfuckers is my game. I on Negro, Black, African American, Black, Black, Black. Django, J. B. Damn, Dolomite. Great card in heaven, you know. J. B. Our great Negro sex machine.